Hey, let's, uh, let's sing that chorus again, I will build my life where that starts. And sing it as a prayer. If you need the words, keep your eyes open. Otherwise, just let's sing it as a, a surrender to God, as a prayer from our individual hearts to him. Can we do that? Let's uh, take us there. Ladies, take us. surrender to Lord. Father, we lift our hearts to you today. We know that faith comes from you. And so build our faith so that we can put our trust in you. You are a firm foundation, Lord. And this is a complex life, so we need you. We need you when we leave here today, and we need you while we sit here right now. We need you. And we surrender our hearts to you now. In Jesus' great name. And all the Lord's people said, amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated in his presence. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. I'll tell you, I, did, I wanted that to go on and on, which is why I said let's go on and on with that today, Bobby. Uh, th that was awesome. So good to be with you all today. G great to be with you all online as well. Um, I love this church. Don't you love this venue? Is this not the coolest venue? Um, and I'll tell you what, keep this, keep this in your prayers. We are going to move. Uh, in four Sundays from now, so I get, yeah, four, so this is the fourth, I don't know how you count, but October 16th will be our first Sunday uh, as we move for the winter over to Federal Hill Prep, uh, and they are welcoming us with open arms, that's just a few blocks from here, the parking is, is there, and it's, it's plenty, but it's a little weird to access, so keep your eyes open online uh, as to how to get into the parking lot there at, the, uh, at Federal Hill Prep. And then we'll be back here uh, at least by Easter Sunday. And when I say at least, that yields some prayer time because we're working with all kinds of dreams about, about this very building right here. So keep in touch with us on that. Hey, would you open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians, both chapters 2 and 3. Uh, we're going to, sometimes we preach one short verse, Mark. Sometimes we preach two chapters all at once. Sometimes we preach an entire book all at once. Uh, but uh, today we're going to be in those two chapters, and I like them to be open, have them open online, open on your phones. Um, we'll have some slides, but I'll be going back and forth, and I want you to be able to follow along uh, as you look at these chapters. Now, somebody say the word duality. Say duality. Now, duality is a, is a, a dimension that you, if you've been around me at all, you know that I love the issue, the dimension of dualities, where two things that are seemingly... Um, in conflict with each other, or that might even cancel each other out, two things are actually true at the same time. And we see this throughout our lives. We see it throughout Scripture. Uh, you see it starting in Genesis 1 with the opposites that are created. You see it uh, with uh, the dimensions of our life in Christ, like uh, speak the truth in love. Truth and love sometimes cancel each other out, don't they? Which do you go for? 
you know, do justice and love mercy. That's a duality. Are you with me? Do you get it? Well, today we have a, a duality of sort of a different, different sort. I love this venue. The birds are drowning me out over here. It's awesome. Um, we have a duality that's more a cultural, a Christian culture duality. And uh, let, me, let me give you a, a thought about it. This, this weekend is uh, my, uh, a very nodal high school uh, reunion uh, back in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I grew up a Pirate and Steeler fan. Sorry, y'all. And um, uh, it's, my, it's my reunion that has a five in it. I won't say where that five exists, but it does. It's my fifth reunion. Yeah, that's it. And uh, it, it got me thinking as I was, because, um, you know, all kinds of communication going on about this reunion. I didn't love high school enough to even think about attending my high school reunion, by the way. That's a whole other thing. But it did make me think about high school as I saw all the Facebook and Instagram posts going back and forth. I'll bet that many of you had a teacher like I had in my junior year English class, Miss Dengler. Miss Dengler was my junior year, and, and she was tough. Like, Miss Dengler was known to be tough. English class, it was a writing class, Mark. Uh, English junior year was serious business. And uh, she had a no-fun, no-nonsense reputation. Uh, many of my classmates were known to avoid taking her class junior year. Somehow I got in there. Uh, and she, um, she was the slowest teacher with a smile. Uh, she was the quickest with a punishment when you existed and lived outside the rules. That was junior year, and that was her reputation. But the senior class every year had the senior follies, some sort of ridiculous show. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, a mostly silly, silly talent show where teachers would take part if they chose. And Miss Dengler always volunteered to be in the senior follies. She proved the proverb that the more severe a teacher's reputation, the more delighted they might be to put on a silly costume and make a fool of themselves on behalf of and for the sake of their school and their students. So she had this very sober reputation in the classroom and this very fun-loving reputation outside the classroom. And this other side of Miss Dengler made me realize, even as a junior writing student, that here was, and, and by the way, any talent I have for writing really started there, and I'm very grateful to her. But this, this duality of who Miss Dengler was made me realize that here was a human being who, who had my best interest at heart. And, and her twin commitments, first to the English word, and secondly to her students and their welfare, taught me this. She was tough on the outside, a softy on the inside. She was a living duality that created a culture around it. Now, I think the mood of our text this morning is very similar. First Thessalonians, both chapters 2 and 3. And if you are vaguely familiar with the Apostle Paul, uh, you might be filled with some sort of dread to get into his letters. Because in popular and mostly uninformed opinion about Paul, he's a rather severe man who held some rather rigid views and made sure to tell everyone at some length about those views. But I want you to stay with me this morning in these chapters from Paul. This is his first letter, by the way, that he ever wrote to the churches, the Church of Thessalonians, his very first letter in, in history, in timeline. But I want you to stay with me because here he comes on an airplane now. I'm getting drowned out by airplanes, birds. This is awesome. But, but Paul, um, th this other side to Paul, we get an insight into a duality that makes Paul tick. 
And, and it provides the substance behind my title this morning, The Ministry That Works. The Ministry That Works. This is in our series, uh, The Gospel at Work. This is The Ministry That Works this Sunday. And I want to look at Paul's twin commitments here. We'll see how he has sold out both to the Word of God and to the people of God. And it's very Miss Dengler-like. He would, Paul would not have known that. But, uh, oh, and by the way, Miss Dengler, Mark, would love these chapters uh, because the main ideas that I'm going to get us into today all stand on vivid metaphor, and Miss Dengler was a sucker for a metaphor. So metaphor is throughout these things. Let, let, look with me first at Paul's all-encompassing commitment to the Word of God, and he is very sober and committed and serious about his commitment to the Word of God, and so ought we be. So let's take a look. If you happen to be here in the rain last Sunday, you are my hero, uh, and if you heard, you heard that this is the theme of chapter 1, and now in chapter 2, church, he builds the significance of God's Word. Three times he employs the phrase, the gospel of of God. Verse 2, we had the boldness to declare to you the gospel of God. Verse 8, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Verse 9, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And then twice in verse 13 of chapter 2, he uses the phrase, the word of God. And we also thank God that you received the word of God, which you accepted not as the word of people, of humans, of men, but as what it really is, as the word of God. So church, we learn here that it was Paul's unmistakable conviction that his message both originates with God and at the same time it was God's gospel. It was God's truth. Not his truth, not some sort of Christian church truth, not a great city truth, but a God truth. And he's very sober about this. And here he employs two very self-descriptive metaphors uh, to illustrate his deep commitment to God's word. And his first metaphor is uh, that of a trusted steward. Somebody say steward. Steward. It's not a word we use often, but here it is. Look at the beginning of verse 4. On the contrary, he says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted and trusted with the gospel. In other words, God has committed, Paul is saying, the gospel to our trust. And that church is a matter for a steward. Last summer, um, we were going on vacation, and for a variety of reasons, we asked if Alan would come and live in our house for the week or eight days that we were gone, and Alan was a steward of our house. He took control. He ate breakfast there. He made sure the sprinkler came on. He did the things that a house needs when its people are away. That is the role of a steward, and God has entrusted his gospel to Paul and, by the way, to you and to me. All of us, he has entrusted it to us as a steward. Paul writes directly about it later in 1 Corinthians 4.1. He says this, we are the stewards of the, what's this, the revealed secrets of God. And that simply is this, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the revealed secrets that God has committed to our trust. Now, church, this is a significant plank in our call to ministry, in the ministry that works. It involves our motives. Look at verse 3. He tells us what is not true about the Word of God. This is all about our motives. For the appeal we make with the gospel does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. You see, all of this ministry is completely open to inspection from the people of God. And his message was true, and his motives were pure, and his methods were above board. And this is important to us 
because God, excuse me, because God has approved him. The verb used in, ver in verse 4 comes from the same process, Bob Boyer, you'll love this, the process where coins are tested to see if they are genuine. This is how God has approved us in that same way to, to be stewards of his gospel. He tested Paul and found him to be genuine. And you might be asking by this point, well, how does this apply to me? What differences? Aren't pastors set aside? Aren't they special in some way? Isn't this a, just a pastor thing? Does Paul have anything special to say to me? But I want to remind you of something that we and the church at large, but at Grace City, we have talked about this a lot over the last 14 years, and that's it, this. Every follower of Christ is in the ministry. Can you take that on? Let me look in the back rows. Every follower of Christ, everyone you look at, everyone of us is in the ministry. We all have pastoral responsibilities in multiple arenas, don't we? I mean, if you're a parent, you've got a little flock at home to minister to. Some of you have friends you meet with for, for breakfast. That's your flock. Some of you meet for a small group Bible study. That's your flock. Your neighbors are in your flock. Your, your students, Kathy, Tim, are in your flock. Uh, our patients, if you're a doctor or a nurse or a, any in the medical profession, your patients are in your flock. All of them bring different vibes as to how we share the gospel, steward, steward the gospel uh, with the word and with even more with our own lives. And this passage that we're in right here teaches us, this metaphor of being a steward, teaches us how to be confident in our approval from God to be stewards of his word in the various arenas where we live and breathe. The arenas where we engage people and help them see and receive and grow in the gospel of God. That's our flock. Where's your flock? Just take a moment and think about who's in your flock? Where, where, what are the various arenas do you have that's your flock? And Grace City, I want to say this too. There is no secret uh, in Christian ministry, ministry greater than what we're seeing here. There's no secret greater. And it's about the God-centeredness of the gospel of God that we steward. Ministers in Christ, you and me, Paul, are primarily, you are primarily responsible, not to me, not to Grace City, not to our executive pastor, even with that great word executive in the title. You are, we are primarily responsible to God. That's good news. And, 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 and that's not to say the church has no role in recognizing and commissioning and calling and setting folks aside to exercise their gifts. Of course we do. We did it three weeks ago with teachers and educators here. We called them up. We prayed, commissioned them to go minister in their world that they live in. And we do the same with, with, with all of you in that sense. All of you, we commission you today to go out and exercise uh, your gifts in the, with the gospel of God. But ultimately, church, it is God who examines and appoints us. And that's whom we are responsible to as stewards of the word of God. I think that's a beautifully liberating conviction. I hope it feels liberating rather than a burden. His burden is light. This is light. But it is a solemn one. This is like Miss Dengler in the English class. She was sober about the English word. We have a solemn uh, commission here from God to stand before God and take good care of his word. To be good stewards of it. So that's the first thing. He likened himself to a steward entrusted with the gospel. And then he, he goes to a second metaphor where he likens himself to a messenger, or better yet, uh, what I want to call a passionate herald. Herald. Somebody say herald. 
We have a steward, and now we have a herald. Not herald the name, but H-E-R-A-L-D, a herald. And you may know, or you may not, but I'm going to tell you, and you'll know it from now on, that this is the most common word used for the word preacher in the New Testament. It's a word that translates literally as herald. And this is how Paul thinks of himself in ministry and how we ought to think of ourselves, official messengers of the word of God. Look at the end of verse 9. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. This literally is we proclaimed it to you like heralds, like heralds. There's the metaphor, official messengers, and it even adds in the definition of this word, in the marketplace. The Greek word is kerusos, in the marketplace. And in verse 13, Paul then expounds on this metaphor of herald, and he thanks God that when he proclaimed the gospel, the Thessalonians did not receive it as Paul's word or some group's word, but they received it as it was, as the word of God. And this is unambiguous, church. There's, there's no debate going on here. The message that, that Paul and the other ministers and that we herald is not our own idea. It's not our own invention. It's not our own speculation. What the apostles were bringing to the church was nothing less than the word of God. They were heralds, official messengers of God, and so are you, and so am I. That's wonderful. It's a comparable claim to, to uh, that, uh, where the New Testament apostles, apostles say this, it's comparable, comparable to the Old Testament prophets who would act as heralds and conclude their prophecy saying, this is the word of God. And this is the, the New Testament version of it. Paul never downplays this reality. He is, he is Miss Dengler-like. He is sober in this reality. He never encourages the Thessalonians to be more sensible or hold the message of the gospel less reverently. He dares to thank God that when they heard the word, they received it as the word of God. That's pretty sober. And church, listen, this truth means we must deal with the words of Paul and the entire Bible in its entirety, in a sober and reflective and obedient manner, the way Ms. Dengler demanded of us in class in our junior year. We don't seek how we might disagree, but rather, listen to me now, we seek how we might discern the scriptures and apply the complex and profound word of God that has been given to us. Listen, it's not, the, the opposite of, of, of this is not to say, the Bible says it, I believe it, just do it, some version of that. Please never say that. This is complex. Life is complex, and God's word is complex. When you hear it said, oh, it's just simple, it's really not. It's brilliant, it's beautiful, but it takes some discernment. Many of us these days would like to dismiss Paul and any scripture that is difficult. Just don't deal with it. But Grace City, let me challenge you. Be careful not to dismiss at the expense of heaven's truth. You might miss something. Take up the mantle, Grace City, with all of us, not to dismiss the hard sayings of the Bible, but rather to discern not to distrust, but rather to determine the meaning and the message of the gospel of God. This is our job. And I'll grant you that it's harder work to discern than it is, than it is to dismiss. But it's a sweet work, Alan. It's a sweet work to grow our appetite for and our fluency with the gospel of God. Somebody say amen to that. It's a sweet work. Don't be afraid, Grace City, to grapple, to wrestle with the hardest texts the hard sayings of the Bible, as one of my professors used to say it, it is a rich, profound 
wealthy way to grow in God's word that makes us wealthy in Christ. The first qualification then for any Christian ministry that works is the conviction that God has spoken in Christ and in the biblical witness for Christ. We have a message to steward and we have a message to proclaim, to herald. And, and it works powerfully still for those who will receive it. Not rumors of God, but the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's our first responsibility in a ministry that works. It's to God's word. But secondly, we must, in a duality now, in a almost conflicting truth, secondly, we must look after the welfare of God's people. And let me cut right to, to, to Paul's vivid metaphors in this dimension of ministry. He says, first, I want you to take this on. He says, first, he was like a nursing mother. Paul the apostle a nursing mother. Take a look at the verse 7 particularly, but all of 5 and 8. Let me read it. Paul says this, We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And he puts this in context starting in verse 5. Let me read it. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Thank God for that because there's plenty of greed in the Christian church around the world throughout history. Is there not? We all know that. We didn't come for that, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others, though, though we could have made demands as apostle of Christ, but we didn't. We made no demands, but instead, verse 7, we were gentle like a nursing mother. Now, isn't it delightful, Kathy, that especially in a season now, when so much Bible teaching that we hear pushes men to be some sort of manly ideal, and I hear that all the time, and I got to say, that's not the vibe of the scriptures that I know. But isn't it delightful that, that a man as masculine and as tough as the Apostle Paul in the rigidly hierarchical culture of, of the ancient Near East, isn't it delightful that he would employ this delicate, tender, feminine metaphor to describe himself and the nature of a ministry that works? Is anyone else delighted by that? It just fills me up. It's Miss Dangler in the Senior Follies. And church, the Bible describes six entities as a mother to God's people. So this is not unique to Paul. It, it includes, here's what's described in the Bible, and, and I'll be happy to give you the references, but what's described as mother to God's people? The church, pastors, Christ, and God himself. That's Isaiah 49. If you want to look it up, don't look it up now. So, so as much as Paul characterized all of us in ministry as fathers and protecting and inspiring their children, and we refer to those um, uh, verses a lot, he also, church, employed feminine imagery like labor and breastfeeding and nurture. And in that sense, all of you, all of us, all of, all of us are like mothers when ministry is at its best. Can you, put your, can you step into that cloak of being like a mother in your ministry that works. I encourage you to do it, whoever you are today. All of us are like mothers when ministry is at its best. Ministers of the gospel who bring to birth, bring people to birth in the gospel, care for us when we're sick, feed us when we're hungry, and help people grow up well in the gospel of God. Birth them and help them grow. And although Paul held the title of apostle, we see here that he held his authority lightly. And let me just say, that should always be true, shouldn't it, Mary Lou? Whether you're an elder, a pastor, a lay person, running a Bible study, please don't get, ever get caught up in the authority that comes with it. 
They could have made demands, but they didn't. Paul held that lightly. Instead, he was tender and gentle like a mother with, his, with her own children. And he fills in the substance. Now watch this, of the mother, mothering metaphor when in verse 8, take a look at verse 8. Uh, and I think this is our finest model for sharing the gospel. He says, we were affectionately desirous of you. In other words, he's saying, we had such a deep affection for you because you had become so dear to us. Is your flock, is, is, is your colleagues, your patients, your students, your Bible study, are they so dear to you like this? So that he, he, said, he writes, we were ready to share with you, I love this, not only the gospel of God, but what? Our very selves. Somebody say amen. Say a silent amen to yourself. To share our very selves. We were willing to give ourselves to you, our life, our energy, everything we are, in order to serve you. This is a ministry that works. And Grace City, would you make a note here? There's nothing routine, there's nothing obligatory about Paul in his ministry. He didn't just go through the motions. He loved them like a mother loves her children. Gentle, sacrificial, willing to lay down his life as any mother would. Don't we know that? So first he's like a nursing mother, and then secondly, he's like an inspiring father. Look at verses 11 and 12. And you, you men were a little nervous for a while, but he takes on the metaphor of father too. For you know how, he writes, like a father with his children, we exhorted you to uh, each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to lead a life that is worthy. And again, he, begin, he began this uh, metaphor negatively back in verse 9. He says he was anxious not to burden them by being dependent on them for financial support. So he worked night and day, he says, to earn his own living. And they remembered his labor. The church, the Thessalonians, remembered his labor and toil. They and God were witnesses in all his behavior toward them. He was holy, righteous, and blameless. So we come back to verse 11, and we see not only was he not dependent on them, it had reversed. They had become dependent on him. His fatherly ministry among them included exhortation and encouragement and moral appeal as he urged them to live a life worthy of the God who had called them into his kingdom. And listen, just as an aside for a minute, there is no need, Mark, to, to deduce um, from this that Paul was laying, some, laying down some sort of gender stereotypes and roles from the family. The mother nursing and feeding and the father educating and inspiring the children. Don't go there. Today we are quite likely to acknowledge that parents ought to share in the various tasks that make up the economy of the home and family, right? We, 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 we acknowledge that quite, quite readily. What is significant here in this text, and I, you, to, to know this is to take yourself back 2,000 years into the culture of the ancient Near East. What is significant here is that in both the gro grossly misogynist culture of the ancient Near East and in today's evolution of misogyny, is that this severe persecutor of the church, this rabbi, this Pharisee, this ever serious, sober, Miss Dengler like an English class Apostle Paul, saw his ministry in holy parental terms. That's pretty cool. And it's stunning that he likens himself to both the father and the mother of these Thessalonian followers of Christ. And he puts it in writing for all generations to see. He puts it in writing. How many times do we say these days, don't put that in an email. You're not going to want that following you around. But he puts it in writing. And it's, it's the first century equivalent of the serious English teacher putting on a silly costume 
in the senior follies. He is delighted in his responsibility not only to steward and herald the word of God, but also to love like a sacrificial parent those who, who were committed to him as if they were his own children in the church family to feed them, educate them, inspire them, and bring them up gently in the Lord. Do you see the duality? Somebody say duality. The serious purveyor, proclaimer of the word of God alongside the playful lover of God's family. I love this duality. Well, as the worship team comes up, Grace City, let me remind you, take your notes, make your notes here. We have four metaphors with which to illustrate the nature of the ministry that works. And I want you to step into them because sometimes you say, what will work in my ministry? How do I, how do I get something in 2023 that's on its way that really works in a ministry that works? Step into these metaphors. We are to be like stewards entrusted with the gospel of God. Do you have the confidence that God has entrusted you as a steward. You can have that confidence. We are like heralds, official messengers sent by the king. Do you walk into your week tomorrow morning? Do you walk into your week going, I am an ambassador of the kingdom of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a herald of God's gospel. That's something to step into. That's a ministry that works. And then thirdly, we are like a nursing mother, gently caring for her children. Can you step into that? Can you put on the cloak of a nursing mother and say, that is my job with my little flocks, wherever they might be. And we're like a father, inspiring them to greatness in the kingdom of God. So what do we learn from all this? What does a ministry that works look like today? It looks like that ministry, like Paul's ministry. Church, the Christian ministry is a ministry of both the word of God and a ministry of the church, serving the people of God. Paul's deep love through the for the Thessalonians, seen through these parental metaphors, the mother and the father. It's so very clear in the rest of chapter 2 and 3. I want you to read it when you go home. I don't have time to go into all of it, but here's some other things he said from that parental dimension. He said he was grief-stricken because he missed them. He said he felt like an orphan, a, a fifth metaphor, Mark. He felt like an orphan because he missed them so much, and he, they were his family, and he missed them. And in that period, he tried his utmost to come back and visit them, but he was hindered by Satan. We don't know in what way. But then, Jamon, when he could bear it no longer, he was willing to be left alone in Athens, and he sent Timothy to establish them in the faith and see how they were doing. And watch this. Paul was so overjoyed to hear Timothy's report. He absolutely, Tim, he absolutely sounds like a parent. After so much time, Timothy came back with the report. Paul is in Corinth as, he, as he's waiting to hear about his children's welfare. And he says in verse 8 of chapter 3, take a look. For now we live. Now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Have you ever known that with family or friends or children? I can breathe again knowing you're okay. I can breathe again. I can live again. Church, we can finally breathe again because our very life depends on the prosperity of the flocks that God has given us stewards of his word, parents that love the body of Christ. And then at the end of chapter 3, Paul pours out his soul in prayer that God will open the door for him to come back to Thessalonica to be with his children there. And he, and he, he sends them a benediction. And in just a few minutes, uh, Yvonne Colon is going to give us our benediction in Spanish because it is National Hispanic Heritage Month. And uh, we're going to have that uh, benediction from Yvonne. But this benediction is right in the wake of Paul's 
duality of commitments here. Just listen to verse 11 and 12, chapter 3. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Gosh, can you pray that for the flocks that you're given, your colleagues, your students, your patients, whoever. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. This is a pastor's heart laid bare, laid bare before us. Paul loved the church family. He longed to see them. He rejoiced to hear about their progress. He prayed constantly for them. His life was bound up in them. It is the language of parents, Grace City, of mothers and fathers who cannot bear to be separated from their children. Those of you who sent a college kid away for the first time this fall, you know what it's like. I've done that three times. I know what it's like. So, Grace City, there it is once again, two indispensable qualities of a ministry that works. Faith in God's Word on the one hand and love for God's people on the other. A twin commitment to truth and to love. Somebody say duality. Let's step into it as we stand. stand step into those metaphors and let's sing and worship and we will be back with a call to action and our very special benediction in just a minute.